0: This morning we had the privilege to talk about biblical soul care and physical illness. Biblical soul care and physical illness. And this is one of those things that we can confidently say if you've not had significant physical illness, at some point you will. Um, physical illness is a reality in the world in which we live. Now, as we think about soul care, we always wonder, okay, where, where does this mesh with what happens in the physical and of course, we tried to cover some of that last week relative to psychopharmacology. I want us to, to um, boil down into this issue of physical illness and biblically, how should we think about it? Foundationally, what's the framework from which we see? How do we, how do we understand physical illness? Our tendency is to sort of draw a line, hard and fast somewhere, okay? and that depends on the person, and we draw this line at some point and we say... These types of issues, however we want to define those, belong in uh, the spiritual realm, and these types of issues belong in the physical realm, and never the twain shall meet. And I think that's a, a faulty reality for many of us in the way that we try and see human problems. Quite frankly, the Bible just doesn't present problems in that manner. Yes, there are physical problems, and Yes, there are spiritual problems in the way in which we think about those, um, but I would dare say that the Bible describes the impact, the effects of problems that we have on our humanity are interwoven as both physical and spiritual. So when we talk about physical illness, it's important that we think through this well. I want to start with a quote by Dr. Bob Smith, who is now with the Lord. He was the first that I know of. a uh, certified biblical counselor with what used to be called then Nank National Association of Neuthetic Counselors, he was the first certified medical doctor. And this is what he said. He, he wrote a lot um, relative to the literature. And I think this is a really important point that, um, for example, what I'm giving to you, he wrote in 1977, I wasn't even born yet, okay, that's how long ago that was, And yet biblical counselors somehow have this this idea, okay, or people have this idea about biblical counselors thinking that that, um, we we don't want to encourage um, help from physicians or medicine or anything like that. But listen to Dr. Bob Smith, and he sort of set the tone for how we talk about these things. He says, if a counselor has a counselee who has any kind of physical symptom which has not had adequate medical evaluation by adequate is meant a complete physical examination. The counselor must insist that the counselee get such an examination. And I think that's important because what he's saying is (laughs) there are physical symptoms that can be present at any given time, and we don't know what the cause of those might be. There can be something that's organic at which uh, we need to deal with. And we need a physician to to help in dealing with that. And then that lets us know how we're going to address a certain problem, whether we talk about it from a perspective in the scripture of someone who is suffering now with some legitimate organic illness, or if they don't find organic illness, it could be the Bible is very clear that there are... What some seculars have described as psychosomatic, I would argue that uh, for a different term, spiritual, physical, physiological problem that exists. And the Bible is certainly um, wise in describing those realities as well. So we would address that maybe a little differently. Now, the way I want to couch this, if we can, is, is really my job is to um, give you a biblical framework about how to think about physical illness and how, to, how do we deal with it from a biblical perspective. And what we always have to keep in mind is um, we, we do not believe that the Bible is a strict dichotomy in terms of you are physical and you are spiritual, and and as Pla- Platonic belief would say, that you're you're just in a, your spirit is just an encaged spirit with the body, and that your body is waiting to die so that your spirit can be free, and that everything to do with the flesh is is evil in and of itself inherently. And we believe that the body has been given to us as human beings to steward, as a stewardship. As I mentioned last week, it's really important for us to to consider that what it means to be human is always to be body and soul, never distinct. Uh, even we believe when we're spending eternity with, with Christ, we believe that we will receive a new body. That's in essence what it means to be human. So the body in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's not inherently bad. So how do we think about this? Okay. I want to start... And you'll hear in a lot of biblical counseling literature, you'll hear a lot of descriptions like, we need to deal with issues of sin and suffering. And I want us to distinguish what we mean when we say that, is sometimes I think biblical counselors can even make a, create a false dichotomy in saying, well, there are issues that are strictly dealing with sin and we need to address the sin in people. Okay. That's what we're really famous for, right? is we need to address the sin in people. And then there are those who are suffering something, whether it be impact of natural disaster or some sort of uh, accident that has happened or some sort of physical disease that a person is incurring. And we act as though those two things are always separate. When in reality, we are what what, what has been called revelation receivers as human beings. So anything that happens to us or around us, we are making sense of it and responding to what we believe to be true about that reality in that given moment. And so we're not just a valueless observer. So if you're diagnosed with some sort of physical illness, chances are in some way you're going to respond to that, whether it be good, bad, fear, peace, in some way you're going to respond to that. And so you're not a valueless observer in that. You're making value judgments in how you respond to that. And so when we talk about things uh, that we're suffering with, we also have to think about how we're responding to that, okay? And it makes, it makes a lot of sense for us biblically to address life in this way. Now, biblical counselors obviously are famous, and I think you should think about it like this. They're famous for everything is sin, right? Right? Uh, So all you want to do is address sin. Well, here's the deal. We have to, and I'm going to nuance this, so hopefully you can understand the distinction that I'm making. When you have the narrative of Scripture, when you move past Genesis 3 and the chronological narrative of Scripture, everything that happens in the known world that's destructive is as a result of that event in Genesis chapter 3. Now the way in which we distinguish this, okay, is we try to distinguish this in terms of personal sin. Now there are times where in issues of soul care someone has a personal sin and we need to address that issue of personal sin. No question about that. The danger happens when we when we run to the other extreme and we be, and even in cases like that where there's personal sin to act as though the body's not involved. Don't make it hyper-spiritual, okay? So if you have a tendency toward fear and worry and anxiety, when you build that pattern over time, you will have physiological effects of that overwhelming fear. I would articulate, if we were to dive into this a little bit further, that that's a part of the bondage that happens of sin in our own life. So there's a connection. We don't need to hyper-spiritualize those things. But now when we think about physical illness, we just have a tendency to sort of cast it off as if it's non-spiritual at all. And what I'm telling you is that both of those extremes are not biblical perspectives on spirituality or on our physiology, on our physical beings. I think it's important that we think about all the problems that we face are in fact due to sin. And you say, well, hold up just a second. Let's think through this. You have to think about it in terms of, it may be because of consequences to our own personal sin. That's true. Or we think about it in terms of what I call corporate sin, right, what Augustine called original sin. What Paul articulates in Romans chapter five, the sin of Adam, and that by that one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, the Bible says. Now what does the term death mean? The term death simply means separation or destruction brokenness that's happening. And we know that because of sin, we will all die. Isn't that wonderful that you heard that annoying sound of the alarm this morning and you went through all that work to get up to come to church this morning to hear that you're going to die? Not awesome? Aren't you glad you came? All of us are going to die. 100% of us will die. The Bible says, it's appointed unto man wants to die and then the judgment. So when we think about the effects of sin, even our physical illness, we have to begin in a place to understand that physical illness and that decaying of the body from a, from a biblical perspective, not to allow our minds to drift in a different direction with some sort of earthly explanation as to why this or that is happening. Now, those scientific reasonings may be true, but they're short-sighted. They don't see the fullness of what's happening. It's sort of like opening up a a puzzle box and only half of the pieces are in there and you get the half together and you can see a nice picture, half of it, but you don't see the rest of it. And that's really the perspective that we're up against when we think about physical illness. I think we have to here avoid false dichotomies. The issues that we deal with in our humanity are both due to sin and suffering. And most of the time it incorporates both when we talk about our physical illnesses. Because again, while you may not be responsible for the physical illness personally that's happening to you, you are responsible for how you respond. And That is a critical distinction that we have to deal with on both levels. Now, what I will say at the outset is we are thankful for... Uh, think about living in the time period that you live in. Do you ever just, I do weird things like this. Do you ever just stop and think why you were born in the time that you were born and why you were born in the place that you were born? I mean, I, I think I've thought about that this this past week is why was I not born in Ukraine? Lord, why in your providence did you have me born in the place that I was born in the family that I was born into where I would hear the gospel? Do you think about things like that? Well, fortunately for us, we are born during a time where there's anesthesia and, and modern medicine, and that's a wonderful thing. One of the things we have to be cautious about, and I'll say this, I think, very clear. I've been thinking a lot this week about the issue of common grace and the way in which God, in His common grace, has granted certain things to humanity that are good for believer and unbeliever alike. And I would put medicine in a category like that. I, I would put wealth, and stability, and stature in a category like that. What you have to be careful of is to pay attention that sometimes those common graces that are granted to humanity by a good and kind and loving God can also become a hindrance and a blindness to see the beauty and the kindness of that God. It takes something like Psalm 73, for example, and Asaph is talking about the Lord blessing those who are wicked. And he talks about how God is blessing them um, materially. And why is it that, that me, Lord, one of your servants is not enjoying this type of blessing? And then he makes this transition in verse 17, where the Bible says he enters the sanctuary. And now he sees, the Bible says, their end. And his whole demeanor shifts. Because now what he sees is that that blessing upon them has now become a curse. It didn't have to be that way. It was certainly not a curse to Abraham. It was a blessing to Abraham. We have to think about modern advances in medicine, I think, in much the same way. Because those advances and blessings by God to deal with the the decay of our body can also keep us or hinder us from thinking about the reality of death. When the Bible talks about physical illness and our body decaying, it always runs back to the reminder of our dependence upon God and our patience to wait on him for our help and hope. There's never a place at which we don't see in description here in the Scripture where God is not our refuge and very present help in time of trouble. And so while I say it's a common grace and we should run to it, if you're diagnosed with some physical illness, praise the Lord for which there may be some sort of answer. Enjoy that, but don't let that become some hope that you give yourself to for vitality in life. That's, that's completely different than what the scripture says we're to rest on. Yes, it's good, but make sure that you understand James 1.17 that all good gifts come down from the Father of lights and make sure that you understand that your ultimate hope comes from him. And that yes, he's giving you just a taste of what the beauty of redemption could be like, but it's only a shadow. And Christ is the one who restore fully. So we have to be cautious here. So when we think about physical illness. We have to, we have to put that into a, a biblical understanding, a biblical foundation. I'm going to repeat some themes. I'm going to kind of take a step back and then we'll zoom in a bit. And then I want us to take a step back again. And then toward the end, I want us to zoom in on a particular passage as we think through this issue to, to really help us to have some wisdom in how we think about this. So biblical reasons. You ever think, why, why is it that you know, people get illness? Why is it that people get sick? You know, it's, 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 we sort of think about, you know, older people getting sick and then we see commercials or maybe you have someone or, or we've had friends who've had children who have had cancer and things like that, devastating, difficult. And those things are hard to think about. We have to think of biblical reasons for that. Our tendency is to be like the disciples in, in, um, in John chapter nine. Do you remember that story? Uh, Lord, why why was this man born blind? What was their assumption? Well, surely it was something that he did. I mean, obviously. Uh, He's not as good as the rest of us, apparently. And so now he's cursed by this. And the Lord really helps them to understand something about um, physical illness. And and I'm going to walk through some of these reasons. The place that we have to begin is Genesis chapter 3. The place you have to begin is Genesis chapter 3. It would do you well to go back and read Genesis chapter three and then move quickly into Romans chapter five, where it starts with Romans chapter five starts with how we how we're to deal with suffering and what our ultimate hope is, and that that type of hope that builds character does never it never puts us to shame when we put our hope in Christ and then we when, then it's explained to us that it's because of Adam that we have all these these problems, the sin of Adam, which is you by nature. So it's because of the fall. When we think about um, the difficulties that we had, turn over to Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter eight. And I wanna think about this in light of Genesis chapter three. And notice in Genesis chapter three, the very first question, which I don't think we've gotten over and I don't think we've answered very well. And oddly enough, it's the same type of temptation that Jesus endured in Matthew chapter four, I would argue. From the very beginning, the question was, did God really, what, say? And the question was about, do we trust what God actually has revealed? Do we trust what God has said to be true? Do we, do we trust the categories that God has given where he says, this is good and this is evil? Do you remember the temptation of, of Jesus three different times and then how does Jesus respond? He's affirming that question from the very beginning that tempted man. Yes, God really said, how did he say it? It is written. Okay. Romans chapter eight, I want to start in verse 18 and I want to to flow down so that you can hear the distinction of these sufferings. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now, verse 23, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the firstfruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he, has, what he already sees? Do you see the distinction? He's talking about the groaning of all of creation, that by this one man's sin, death now has entered into the world, and by it, corruption in full, which leads to death. And that constant breaking of the body is intended for something. It's intended for, for we who are the sons of God to be revealed, And it's this progressive revealing, as we'll see later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You see in Romans chapter 5, James chapter 1, verses 2 and following. You see this, this as suffering happens to us, there's a revealing that's intended to happen the revelation that we are the sons of God, the expression of the hope that we have, that it is a hope that's not seen. Do you understand? And so when we talk about physical illness, it's a part of this suffering that I would include here that is a part of the, the, the byproduct of Genesis chapter 3, which you and I contribute to, unfortunately, by our own personal sin. And so we have hopes here in the earthly realm, things like medicine, and those things are not bad, but they are shadows. They are shadows of what to come. They are not the essence of the hope in which you give yourself to if you are a son of God. Now think about it. For those who don't believe, that's the best hope that you have. So why do you think so much money and effort is being put into constantly, let's find something where we can live forever. When you look at artificial intelligence and the research that's happening in artificial intelligence, there are billions of dollars being spent in some fantasy hope that we could live forever, freezing of brains so that one day there might be animation with artificial intelligence to bring someone back to life and then they could live forever. He doesn't understand the truth of the, de- the, the effects of sin called death. Now, that doesn't take the reality of the goodness of God in the temporal And we appreciate that and we honor the Lord for that, but we never give our, we never give ourselves to that fully. We have to understand why is all this here? Why do tornadoes happen? All right. I think you people are crazy in Florida, which is where I grew up. You have hurricanes and it's awesome because you know, they're coming. And so when one's coming, you prepare, and if it's, you know, a category one, you might hang around, category two, maybe. If it's worse than that, you leave. Here, I talk to you people, and I'm like, tornadoes are the scariest thing on the planet. And they come up just that fast, and I'm like, what do you people do if you believe there's a a tornado? And the, the rational answer for all of the rest of you out there, is you should probably find somewhere to hide that's safe. And I talk to Kansans and Oklahomans, and they say, we go out and see where it's coming from. Like, what's wrong with you people, right? Those types of natural disasters are because of the groaning of creation. And we can see that data and a scientist might describe that tornado in a thousand ways and the reasons for why it's here, but that never supersedes in foundation, the description that's given by God to us of how we see why those types of things happen. They happen because creation is groaning and this world is infected by sin. And I would submit to you that when we begin to describe these types of problems, in different ways you don't look to Christ for your hope okay and this is the danger that I think for the way in which we posture ourselves, we have to see clearly from the scripture on this it doesn't hide our minds to the benefits that we have here and now but we don't we don't uh, our, our eyes are not hindered then to only hope in what's here we see that that's goodness from God and we hope in the Lord the second thing I want to mention is biblical reasons for even physical illness. The fall, certainly, because the Bible says our body's decaying. And the second reason is personal sin. I mean, you see this over and over again. One of the places that I would point you to is James chapter 5, where uh, a man is um, told to go before the elders of the church, and the Bible says he's supposed to confess his sin and then ask the elders to pray for him. And the Bible says that he will be forgiven and he will be healed. There's a, a picture, a description here that, yes, it can be because of personal sin. There's a reason in which uh, the, 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 um, the apostles believed in, in John that this man had some sort of blindness because of some sin he did or his parents did. Okay, There was a correlation, but correlation is not always causation. You understand that. So we're not talking about a one-to-one. Because if this were the case, every time you had a physical illness, you need to go see a counselor and, get, and deal with this spiritual stuff, right? But, but I even said at the outset, we don't know. It can be caused. Ultimately, yes, it is caused by sin, but we don't know if it's caused by personal sin particularly. And But we need to examine that. We need to, to make sure that we're pausing and doing some self-examination in our hearts we have this reality that, yes, our bodies are decaying because of corporate sin or original sin by the nature of who we are as humanity, but we also need to pause and examine ourselves personally. And this is the danger when we, when we make a false dichotomy. We say, yep, yeah, the, the doctor said that he found some sort of, uh, you know, explanation, biological explanation for these things, some sort of organic explanation for the illness. Okay, and that's good. You need to deal with that. But by the same token, don't just simply dismiss because the Bible also says there's a reality where personal sin can, can cause those types of problems. So it doesn't need to be an either or, it needs to be a both and. And we as Christians always need to be examining ourselves when suffering happens to us. This was, God did not chide Job for, um, for looking into or perusing as to why he was dealing with suffering. The answer was ultimately never given to Job. He never saw that reality. But what did happen is God was, through that suffering, telling him to trust him. And ultimately, that's where our trust lies. So the biblical reason can be because of personal sin. And then the third reason, which is maybe a little bit more difficult for us to understand, is sometimes it's for the glory of God, which was the case with the guy in in John chapter 9 But also with Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, do you remember the story where he goes to the Lord over and over again three different times and he asks for the Lord to take this uh, thorn away from him, a thorn in the flesh, and uh, the Lord responds to him by saying that his grace is sufficient and he will give him what he needs because his grace will be sufficient and his glory will be made perfect in Paul's what? Weakness. And we don't like that part, but the reality is, in our American mentality, we despise weakness. We hate weakness. We do everything we can to shade ourselves from weakness, to cover whatever weakness it is that we think that we have. When in reality, the Bible teaches us to embrace weakness, to run to weakness. Why? Because it's in our weakness that Christ has demonstrated to be strong. And so I I would argue, biblically speaking, that there are times that physical illnesses are granted as a stewardship. That's really difficult to to even think about. But that is a reality of the teaching that we get in Scripture, is that there are times at which the Lord entrusts something to us. I used to think about my, my missionary friends in China who've now spent more than 20 years ministering to Mandarin speaking, they're no longer allowed to live in country. And one of the things I used to ask God is, uh, Lord, you've not entrusted me with that, and the Lord must think um, I, I'm much more of a uh, spiritual, uh, miniature man as opposed to uh, my missionary friends because they've been entrusted with a stewardship that's much greater to bear than what, than what I've been given. I'm just called to be faithful. And, and I would argue something similar. Now, it's a pithy story just to say when you've been entrusted with a physical illness as a believer, there is a sense of stewardship that you are now given a suffering at which to display something that's far greater than you, that in your weakness something, something else can be displayed. I want you to think about this for a second because this is a part of the beauty and the grandeur of God that, that our minds often don't grasp, is that a, the Lord allows something that's made by dust, and something that's temporal to now be utilized in life in a temporal way for something that is of eternal good, that the Lord can entrust a a physical illness to you, a suffering, a difficulty to you, that by that or through that weakness now, you can display the, the eternal glory of God. That's a fabulous thought to think of. But there are biblical reasons at which we definitely endure physical illnesses. Now I want to talk just for a moment, if we can, about biblical responses. Biblical responses. How should we respond to this reality? Sometimes we don't know as to why a physical suffering happens. There are a couple of options, different examples given in Scripture. It's not always as cut and dry as we might would hope. There are things at which scientists, as I mentioned earlier, call psychosomatic. That just means born of uh, the psyche, the inner man that you see fruit of in the outer man, the soma, the flesh, the body. Um, I I like a better way to say that is spiritual, physiological. I think that's really a more biblical way to, to say that. But we have to, again, avoid this dichotomy here. Uh, this is a quote I used last week that I think is helpful because many counseling problems occur in the intersection of physical and spiritual issues. Counselors must exhort humility and avoid unduly dogmatic assumptions about the source of some problems in living. That's even demonstrated with the apostles in their assumption. We have to be ca- cautious and careful. And again, I'll remind you of the verses from last week, Proverbs fourteen thirty: 30. Tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. We see this, this continual flow. And what this is saying is not necessarily hierarchy, a spiritual part, the inner man is greater than the body, although I think biblically you see that sort of disposition on a consistent basis. What's more, because if you look at that falsely, it creates a dichotomy that's wrong, where we either say physical problems, spiritual problems. I think the best way to say that is this unison at which we see the normal pattern of things flowing from the inner man to the outer man. That's more consistent with what we see happening in the scripture, which you see in Proverbs 14.30. Proverbs 17.22, a joyful joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. We see these realities consistently. Again, from Dr. Bob Smith, something he wrote back in 1977 in the Journal of Pastoral Practice And he lists out, so I didn't include this in your notes, but he lists out several places, and I could run through all of them. I'll give you a couple of of examples where uh, a loss of appetite due to anger and self-pity. So where we see a, a physical symptom, losing of appetite, which can be connected not just to some sort of physical malady. You remember Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, 6 through 7, right? What about in 1 Samuel 28, 20? uh, 20 through 23, there's a loss of appetite due to fear. First Kings, loss of appetite due to envy. You see the psalmist in Psalm 42, a loss of sleep, insomnia, right? Due to his concern about what's going on. So you can see this inner man's struggle that fruits itself symptomatically outward, outside. But then we also see the flip side where we can be given or entrusted, as Paul was, with some sort of issue in our physical being at which the Lord seems to make clear that that's not because of his personal sin or some sort of even inner wrestling. He's now responsible for how he deals with that. And so we have to be cautious when we think about caring for uh, folks in this way. It's not a, an either or, it's a both and. One of the first things you need to do is recommend if there are physical symptoms You need to go get a full workup. You need to go talk to a physician, right? One of the most godly biblical responses you can give is, go see a doctor. I've dealt in the past with um, ladies who have struggled with um, postpartum depression, what's described as postpartum. And and nobody really knows all the things that are going on. But one of the things that I, I tell a young lady is I'll say something like this. One of the most worshipful things that you can do with your time is you're putting so much pressure on yourself about being the mom like all the moms you see on Facebook and that you should never sleep because your baby needs you. One of the most worshipful things you can do is go sleep. Go rest. Um, You are not God. And so what that means is he has given you the night to be able to rest. And so at times when you can, find some sleep. And that's a worshipful thing. Somehow we put pressure on ourselves to say, well, why can't I do it physically, right? I mean, that's expecting more of us than what we can actually do. So when we say biblical responses, yeah, one of the most important things when I see physical symptoms in any of my counselees, one of the first things I do is have a discussion about when's the last time they saw a physician. And are they willing to go and, and meet with the physician Um, To do process of elimination. We want to see, are there any physiological factors contributing to the problems at which they're dealing with? And we need to help eliminate those. And if they are found to be organic in causation, I need to help you spiritually to, uh, to grow up on how to respond to this that's been entrusted to you well. So I'm not disengaging with them. I'm actually engaging even all the more as we find out and have clarity on how we deal with the person. It might just change the way that I address them, whether I'm addressing through admonition, some sort of sin that's contributing to this symptom on the outside, or whether now I try to, by the scriptures, to comfort, to encourage based on patience that the Lord would strengthen them, as we learned about from Ephesians chapter three last week, strengthen them in the inner man. So it depends on how I would approach it, but I want to make sure that they're going to see a physician. And this is one of the, the things that is a good, healthy biblical response. Even in Jesus' statement where he says, it's you know when he's describing why he came, he came to sinners who needed to be saved. A physician doesn't come to those who are healthy. I think that is important for us to understand that those who are sick, who have physical sickness, they do need a physician, and that's not a bad thing. Now, I want to, in the last 10 minutes that we have, to talk through 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you can turn there, and hopefully this will help you to build more biblical responses. Now, there are lots of places that we could have gone to in the Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think, gives us a a full picture here. We could have gone to James chapter 1. We could have gone to Romans chapter 5. Uh, we could look at somewhere like psalm 42 we could look at a lot of different places but i think this is an important picture in the scripture that, that paul is teaching here in second corinthians chapter 4 and this is what he says starting in verse 7 now i want you to hear the fullness of what he says throughout so i'm just going to read the whole passage down to 18 and then i'm just going to pick out some really critical things that i think are are important and as is my custom i typically will offer commentary in the middle of reading just because it's so awesome and I can't take the beauty of scripture. So we'll, we'll pause as we see fit. So 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Do you see that that disposition as we approach even? Uh, the suffering that he's going to describe in just a minute, and he puts this in proper perspective. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always, and this is an important phrase, always carrying about in the body the, the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Listen to this phrase. This is a phrase that, that caught me. It's not the primary point of the passage, but it is an unbelievable phrase. So death works in us, but life in you. Verse 13 But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise, uh, or will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, uh, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Verse 16. So what Paul intends to do here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is to remove whatever glasses that you had that were jaded with temporal lenses to see life and, and the data that unfolds in life, like physical illness, and that that be what creates the reality that you respond to. What Paul intends based on 2 Corinthians chapter four is to help you to put on a lens of the gospel of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that now with the hope that we've been given in Christ, that no matter what it is that we deal with in the temporal, it doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make it not a part of our reality, but it helps us to see the reality for what it is. Is that we don't see just with eyes the seen things in the world. We see that which is unseen. And we have a hope that that God would use our mortal bodies to somehow display the glory of the resurrection of Christ. I want to pay attention to a couple of things that I think are really important. Dr. Bob Smith again says this, one's view of illness response to illness, and recovery from it are greatly influenced by his view of life and death. And I think that's a part of Paul's point here. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is that death is a real enemy. Death is a real enemy. The Bible is quick to talk about the reality of death. You know one of the most unfortunate things that's happened in the world in which you and I live in is we don't think about death very much. In times gone by, one of the benefits of modern medicine, which is not necessarily a bad thing we had to think about lifespans being short, and that if somehow you got a fever which is unexplainable on Monday, that you could be in the ground on Wednesday. And you live with that constant reality, just like Ukrainians are living with that reality right now. I would argue that that they might be seeing reality in what they treasure better than you and I do in peacetime. I often say this. This year, Johnny Erickson Tata is going to be speaking at our ACBC annual conference. And I, I say this frequently about her, that I think she sees reality. She's a quadriplegic. She has to live dependent upon people everywhere she goes and in everything that she does. And that she sees reality better than you and I do. Because in her mind, there's no misnomer as to who she's dependent upon for life. She can see the reality. She's not burdened by some false assumption that she can do certain things that she can't really do. So she's face to face with the reality every single day that She's dependent. I would argue that we buffer that temporal reality in the brokenness of life, in the physical illnesses that we have, the sufferings that we've been given, so that we see that it's a real enemy. And the whole purpose of that is that we look to our real hope, who's Christ. I would argue this, that death is a reminder Death is a reminder, you look at verse seven, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. In jars of clay is what he's saying. Do You ever think about the reality that, that God took dust, right? Do you ever do that? You ever just pick up dirt and just look at dirt that God blew into that and animated you. And that's what we are, we're earthen vessels. And the fact that God could put treasure in that earthen vessel and that by the cracking of that vessel through the brokenness of your suffering in many ways that God then lets the light of the gospel shine out to a world that's in darkness. I think of the picture, it's not the point of the passage, it's just used as an illustration when you think about Gideon when his army was finally whittled down And they surrounded the encampment at night and they had jars. They were told to break the jars. And what happened? The light could only shine when the jars were broken. And that always makes me think of this passage. That we have this gospel, the beauty of the, the light of the world that can save sinners. And that God at times uses brokenness so that the light of the gospel can shine forward. You see it also in verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying. Death reveals. When brokenness happens to you and we have shadows of death all around us, it reveals something about you, something that's true about you. It reveals what's truly hidden in here. It reveals what's going on. It reveals what your heart hopes in. You, hear, you have this phrase that's found in verse 16, do not lose heart, lots of places in the scripture, Jesus tells us to do that. I would argue that one of the reasons Jesus tells us not to lose heart is because you're going to have lots of opportunities to lose heart. And physical illness is one of those. And what he's trying to help us to see is that we have to trust in him so that we don't lose heart when the difficulty comes, when when we are afflicted and persecuted and perplexed and so on. Now, I want to state this very quickly. We, got to, we have to hurry. Death also recalibrates. Death also recalibrates. Circumstances are like a puzzle box that's half full. When pieces are put together, they help form a picture, but because several key parts are missing, we cannot make sense of the whole And that's what death does. That's what shades of death do to you. They help you to recalibrate as to what is important. Verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. He's not saying that it's not affliction here, but he's saying in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that we have there, it's no match at all. So he's not dismissing the idea that we have affliction. He's saying, yes, we have affliction but it compares nothing to the glory that will come. It recalibrates what we value in life. It renews the inner man. You see, we lose heart when, uh, when reminded that our outer man is decaying if our inner man is not being renewed. However, the inner man can only be renewed as we focus on the unseen to make sense of what is seen. Death is at work to sturdy your heart upon a hope that will not disappoint. I want you to think about that phrase. Death is at work to sturdy your heart upon a hope that will not disappoint. Do you see the beauty of the kindness of the Lord in your affliction? Because you and I, listen, let's be honest, you and I, our tendency is constantly to find temporal hopes, things that, that meet what we believe to be our needs today in the imminent immediately. And we are content to linger hoping in those things. And constant affliction and death and suffering and difficulty and physical illness and struggle that we have in life is to help you not to cling to those things which are unsturdy because it will make your heart unstable. The beauty of the passage of Scripture here is to say, death is to help you to be sturdy, to hope in what will never move, what will never pass away. What does God say about his word? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. ever. Death is at work in you, so that, this is the purpose statement, you do not lose heart in the hope of the gospel, and that God is working in you, in the inner man, building the inner man so that as your outer man is decaying, you're like an earthen vessel that's broken, where the light of the gospel of the eternal glory of God can be shown in a dark, dark place. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful. Thank you for your kindness and your love and your mercy and your grace to us. Strengthen us, Lord, we pray, as we were taught last week, in the inner man. And as our outer man decays, which is a reality, we don't slough that off. We don't act like that's not true. It is true. But may our inner man be renewed day by day to strengthen us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.